We are continuing our summer series on characters of the Bible, some of whom are very well known, like Adam and Eve last week, and some of whom we may not have made such an acquaintance with, like Shipra and Pua. This is their story from Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now, a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, the Israelite people are now larger in number and stronger than we are. Come on, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and escape from the land. As a result, the Egyptians put foremen of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them and with hard work. They had to build storage cities named Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread, so much so that the Egyptians began to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel work. The king of Egypt spoke to two Hebrew midwives named Shipra and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and you see the baby being born, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, you can let her live. Now, the two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the Egyptian king's order. Instead, they let the baby boys live. So the king of Egypt called the two midwives and said to them, Why are you doing this? Why are you letting the baby boys live? And the two midwives said to Pharaoh, Because Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women, they're much stronger and give birth before any midwives can get to them. So God treated the midwives well, and the people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And because the midwives respected God, God gave them households of their own. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the Israelites were immigrants in Egypt. They came looking for food and work. And as they lived in Egypt, they multiplied until there were so many of them that those in power got scared. Those in power oppressed them, made laws against them, pushed them into hard and unsafe labor. But, Scripture says, the more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread so much so that the Egyptians viewed them with disgust and dread. One of my favorite children's movies is called Inside Out. It's by Pixar. It's several years old at this point. And it tells the story of the feelings that run an 11-year-old girl's brain. In the movie, the characters of joy and sadness and disgust and anger and fear 
collaborate and compete to shape the 11-year-old's view and experience of the world. The primary conflict, as it might be for some of us, is between joy and sadness. And joy does not like sadness. She sees no role for sadness in the world. And at one point, she even tries to tell sadness to stay in one place. So Joy draws a circle on the ground and says, your only job is to stay in this circle. Don't come out. That does not work with feelings, does it? So sadness seeps out and multiplies and colors everything, perceptions and experiences and memories. And so joy and sadness have to find a way to live together. Because the more sadness is oppressed, the more she multiplies. It's true of people, too, the same dynamic. When someone is in our lives who we just can't stand, who we would do anything to avoid running into, it seems they are always at the grocery store when we are. And every turn in life keeps bringing us closer and closer to them. And the more we dread it, the more we see them. The more we repress those feelings, the more they multiply. And it's not just true internally and interpersonally, it's also true on a geopolitical scale. The white colonists in South Africa did all that they could do to contain and repress and oppress the native black folks who lived there first. And it didn't work. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and gained power. And it didn't work in our own country when we tried to live by the logic of slavery. And it didn't work for Pharaoh. Which means that this dynamic is not just about particular regimes or particular people. This is fundamental. This is something that happens in our hearts. We are often scared of what is different. We are afraid of being overrun and losing something. I think of this as our Pharaoh instinct. It's the instinct to constrain and clamp down and repress and oppress. And we all have it, this Pharaoh instinct. Pharaoh was filled with disgust and dread, so he gave the order. The midwives were to kill every baby boy. And this is when we meet, what were their names? Two midwives. We know basically nothing about them. We know they were midwives, which means they were women of wisdom and healing. I like to imagine them as older women, full of wisdom and experience. But they might have been younger women, full of energy and radical new ideas. And they cared for the Hebrew women, which probably means they were Hebrews. Although the text leaves open the possibility that they were Egyptians, 
caring for the Hebrews, which is an interesting idea. And the only other thing we know is their names, Shipra and Pua. And beauty hides behind those names. Get this. Shipra means brightness and beauty as if to adorn the night sky with stars. And Pua means glitter and brilliance. This story doesn't bother to remember Pharaoh's name. Just these two women, Shipra and Pua. Brightness and beauty, glitter and brilliance. And their work was to accompany, to come alongside people. I believe that as much as we have the Pharaoh instinct within us, we all also have the midwife instinct within us. Brightness and beauty, glitter and brilliance. We have the ability and instinct to come alongside each other to accompany each other, to see and bring out the brilliance and life in one another. The midwife instinct is our best instinct to love, to see beauty and seek flourishing, to encourage one who is finding new life in their lives. And Pharaoh orders the midwives to do his dirty work. The policy is violence. And the law is that the midwives will participate. But they do not. They respect God and refuse to enact Pharaoh's evil. The government made a law. And the midwives, on grounds of conscience, refused to obey. This is what Oskar Schindler did in Nazi Germany. This is what every participant in the Underground Railroad did. This is what those freedom riders did. There was a law, and people on grounds of conscience refused to obey. This can be tricky. In any given historical moment, Christians can disagree about these things. When is it right? When is it right to obstruct traffic? When is it right to occupy someone else's property, to break the law, to disobey a direct order? When is it right? People of good faith can disagree about these things. And what do we do? When our authorities are Christian and claim the Bible as the reason for their actions, what do we do when our authorities claim that their power is God-given? In European history, this was called the divine right of kings. The king was to be obeyed because God made the king king. And in Africa, the Pharaoh role functioned in much the same way. The idea was that people who govern and the laws that they made were to be obeyed because they came from on high. That idea didn't die out with the pharaohs or the kings. We know that. 
Pharaoh claimed to be God, but Shifra and Pua knew better. They knew Pharaoh wasn't God. God was God. The laws of our government can be good. They can shape our society in good and life-giving ways. But they are not divine. They are not the highest call to our allegiance. When Pharaoh in any form demands violence or oppression or repression, the only holy thing to do is to live differently. But how? We can't all be Harriet Tubman or Oscar Schindler or John Lewis. What do we do? That's why I love this story. I think we can be Shipra and Pua. I think we have that within us. They did not march up the steps to Pharaoh and give him a piece of their mind and declare that what he was doing was wrong. And if they had more power to them, But they were crafty and creative and flew under the radar and did their work in ways that were life-giving and liberating. They birthed those baby boys and looked the other way when it came to gender. They birthed those baby boys and when Pharaoh called them in, they used Pharaoh's prejudice against him. Oh, the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. By hook or by crook, they birthed those baby boys. This kind of crafty, creative, life-giving resistance can happen all the time in all sorts of ways. I once heard a story of guards in prison conspiring to allow an inmate in solitary confinement a phone call to his daughter on her wedding day. And they arranged it just so that he would call her in the moments before she walked down the aisle. That's the midwife spirit. And when a teacher knows they are supposed to teach to the test, but knows that the students need something different and close the door and teach what needs to be taught. That's the midwife spirit. And when a medical provider honors the choice of a woman and provides appropriate care under the radar, that's the midwife spirit. And we all have opportunities to live in this way. Shipra and Pua are our archetypes, our great, great, great grandmothers in giving life. We all have Pharaoh within us, and we all have Shipra and Pua as well. And part of the journey of faith is to lean away from that instinct to control and constrain and clamp down and lean into the instinct to give life. That instinct of glitter and brilliance and beauty to light up the sky with night stars. We do this together. We do it bit by bit. 
We do not let fear rule the day. And we honor God above all else. This is the call of Shipra and Pua. Amen.